Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we chat to a new guest each week, talk about their life and creative endeavours, and talk to them about some of the music they love. Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, their songwriting techniques, and occasionally getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. Welcome to episode 186. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is Isabella Manfredi. The previous frontwoman for The Preachers is stepping out on her own and this Friday releases her first solo record, entitled Izzy. In today's episode, we're speaking with Isabella about stepping out on her own, her love of Laurel Canyon, and how Atomic Kitten plays into this new record. Here we go. Our guest today is a well-known indie rock musician and songwriter within the Australian music scene. She fronted indie rock band The Preachers for 10 years before recently leaving the band and forging her own path, which has led us to her debut record, Izzy, which comes out today. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Isabella Manfredi. Hello, how are we? Hello, I'm really good. And just a slight correction, it's Manfredi. 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 I apologise. It's all right. <laughs> um, I apologise because firstly, I feel like I've heard it pronounced that way previously, which is in the era of those other people. But um, you have been, I guess, in the public consciousness for a while now, for the last 10 years, and now having your, your own name out there as this project, I imagine must be kind of a very exciting thing. It is. It's, it's, uh, it's satisfying in the way that I, you know, I didn't want to be known for being a Manfredi when I started in the band. And I was very comfortable, I think, to have a shield of a, an entity to sort of wrap myself in. And I, uh, I liked being part of, of, of a group and not having the, um, the attention on, on me. And now I'm definitely at a point in my life where it's very different and I, I want to I want to be myself I want to have my own name I I yeah it's it feels like a a a a step into maturity for me definitely of course it um for anyone who might not know what we're talking about and I imagine that there if you've been paying attention to the Australian music scene in the last 10 years you should know but (laughs) for those few living under a rock um the, the the previous project that we are talking about was the band The Preachers, very well-known band in Australia, award-winning. Um, but you yourself, you are releasing your own solo album this week. It is called Izzy. So it is, as, as you've just said, it's very much yourself. It really is just your name on there. 
Um, firstly, congratulations because this album is gorgeous. We were lucky enough to have a listen. So firstly, congratulations on this album. Thank you. I'm really excited. Thanks. <laughs> no, of course. Um, as, as discussed, this album, it is the first under your name. You have released albums with Preachers previously in the past, but I, I wonder now gearing up and, and turning on the machine again in terms of uh, promo press, things like this, when you do release an album, um, how is it feeling this time around having just yourself here and, and yourself doing the press? I imagine that it's different in both a, a number of good and, and bad ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned turning on the machine. <laughs> it is a bit like that. It is a bit like oiling up an old sort of mechanical robot, you know, that hasn't been <laughs> in use. It's sort of been in the cupboard for a while. Um, but there's a part of me that that just becomes lit up by this whole process it really does it, there's a part of me that is thrilled to be back um talking about the music being able to talk about the record because it's been such a such a uh, a long process I mean five years since I last had a record out and five years since I uh really did any big touring as well with the band. Well, maybe tw 2018 was probably the last year that we we did a, 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 a an official tour. But, yeah, there's also a part of me that is loving doing it on my own. I, I don't feel mixed about it. I thought I might. I thought I might feel mixed. Um, I think the missing of the band might come in the live shows because that's a whole new territory that I, I haven't I haven't explored on my own yet and I might have some grief come up particularly about the the loss of that that unit and the dynamism and the the uh, uh, the sense of familiarity that you get when you've played with the same people for t you know over t 10 years Um but then there's also just because, because this really essential part of me has been missing for a long time and I think that's something that a lot of, a lot of artists and musicians and uh, even just people who travel for a living have experienced over the last few years of, of COVID. Um, it's a shared experience. I don't think there are many people who have been left unscathed by, by it. But... Definitely for me, I, I, I just, I just feel thrilled, like this sense of just pure, beating, pulsing exaltation at being allowed, <laughs> even to have a glimpse of that life again, you know, and to to have music out in the world, put a record, press a vinyl, go and play some shows, talk to people. Um, I feel, I, I feel, and I have felt really disconnected from uh, something essential in my life for for a while now, and um, now I'm just ha I'm just very happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's in incredible to hear. It um, it 
I, I feel like it does kind of come across in the music there. It almost feels like there has been somewhat of a, I want to say rejuvenation or a recharge or, or um, that, that there's something within you that, that kind of comes across orally in these songs that you are back and kind of ready to go. <laughs> um, yeah. the, the record, uh, as I mentioned before, it's titled Izzy. Um, and I know that you kind of have been working on this record for, for a number of years. I believe that this was not just a Sydney-based um, uh, writing experience. I believe that this record was written across the globe. I think Paris, Berlin, Nashville, London, LA. What was the songwriting process like this time around where you're traveling quite a lot and being able to experiment and create in all these different locations and environments? Well, I don't think I knew at the point, at that point that I was writing an album. Uh, at, at the onset of that trip, I think my, my goal was to just get out, just get out. And I, I had really dried up artistically. Um, I had a lot of writer's block. I was struggling to write lyrics to really great, uh, you know, pieces of instrument instrumentals and riffs and ideas that the guys were bringing in the band. And I felt, um, like I didn't have a sense of who I was on my own. And, um, uh, I knew that if that that trip was an opportunity for me to one just be be alone, and I needed to I just needed to be alone. Um, I love traveling on my own, and I love you know one of my favorite things to do that I don't get to do anymore because I have a, a baby <laughs> is just go to a cafe and sit or go to a restaurant and have dinner on my own and just watch people. Um, I really, I think it's part of being an only child. I, I love my own company and I needed to reconnect with that part of myself as a writer as well. So the whole trip was actually a, a resuscitation of, of myself as a writer. And I remember being in Paris, which was the first week and just, I had rented this little apartment with a piano in it and had all these grand designs to, you know, practice every day and learn Chopin songs or whatever the fuck, you know, <laughs> I'd set up for myself. <laughs> and I just spent the whole week kind of depressed and didn't really do anything. And I spent it just wandering around Paris, feeling really sorry for myself and um, it going in and out of bars and places and um, half, I think it's that, you know, it's that kind of sweet ache feeling that you have when you're, you're, you have this kind of anxiety or tenderness and you're vulnerable, but it's also some, a time that you look back on with, a lot of fondness, I think, because those moments are quite, yeah, they're sweet in a way. Um, 
And then I went to Berlin and I worked with Anton Newcomb from Brian Jonestown Massacre, which was just like <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he just, the Brian Jonestown massacre had just broken up again and he was back in his studio. I'd met him at Glastonbury a couple of years before that and he'd, you know, just like razor-eyed me and be like, not razor-eyed or laser-eyed but kind of <laughs> razor-eyed as well. Both work, um, yeah. Yeah, and he'd just gone, you know, you need to step into my star hole you've got to come and work with me in Berlin, you know. And and uh, and that was, you know, it was an interesting experience. I it, it, All the rumours are true about him and that's all I will <laughs> say about it. Um, but it was great because really what I wanted to learn was how, because he's so prolific and a big a, a, a big missing piece for me, I think, in The Preachers was we toured a lot and we, we were prolific as a live band and I definitely got a lot of great experience out of that. But I I didn't get to sink my teeth into recording and I longed to be a prolific songwriter and a, and a prolific recording artist. So I, I never got to fulfil that. Uh, that longing in the band, and I was looking to other artists who might be able to. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Provide a key to how you do that. Like, how do you get, how do you get prolific? What, are, what do you need to, to let go of? What do you need to be able to do? Do you have to be able to play everything and record everything? Um, so I was really interested in just watching his process. And I did. And then I got the fuck out of there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I went to London. And that was where I wrote Jealousy, which was really the first, that was kind of the first kickoff song of that whole period and um yeah after that it was just it, it just sort of you know I think I think as an artist you do go through natural rhythms and periods of inactivity where you get really afraid that it's never going to happen again and I certainly I still go through those periods but I've just gotten better at understanding that there's a natural uh there's an there's an there's a natural rhythm to it and a balance that happens. And by the time I got to LA, I was in full swing. And it just you know once you're 
once you're in the swing, stuff just kind of runs out of you like, you know, like water and it's great. It, it's yeah. quite addictive actually. <laughs> so now I'm back. I'm back in LA and I'm trying to, I'm trying to get back in that place again. Well, I'm, I'm glad that one, that you're able to get out of Berlin safely, um, but two, that it was able to kind of <laughs> kick off that moment of, um, I guess, wh- where we are now having this record and, and um, being able to enjoy this record. I know that, uh, you mentioning that you're in LA, I know that you do have a bit of a, um, possibly something that we might have in common, a bit of a love of Americana and the, I guess, Laurel Canyon law history, whatever people might refer to it as. Um, I know this kind of came into play with the record. You worked with Jonathan Wilson, who's worked with um, artists like Angel Olsen or um, works very closely with Father John Misty. When you were working with him, uh, who I think he produced about six and a half or six tracks on, on this record on Izzy, um, you gave him some really interesting reference points into what you thought the record sounded like. Yeah, I did. Um, he, you know, one of the things that we really, um, we really connected over me and him were uh, the different, the different reference points and the and the kind of taste that is difficult. Well, had been in my experience um, difficult to translate with. I would say, you know, male producers of a certain age who also play guitar, it's rare for for them to go, yeah, oh, my God, TLC is just, like, fantastic. Or it's rare for them to go, yeah, you know, Atomic Kitten, okay, I can see, yeah, totally. Um, And that... Uh, my love for 2000s, early 2000s pop and R&B, which is, you know, not revolutionary now. It's it, it, it's like Olivia Rodrigo's brought back that, um, you know, Natalie Imbruglia was bloody on the, the, her The Sour <laughs> Tour just recently. Yeah. And so all of that is coming back in into vogue. But for me it was the music that I, you know, that was what was on the radio when I was younger and, um, for all my dad's pure and good musical education and intentions, he couldn't save me from what was on the radio and he couldn't protect me from my own taste. So, and that, you know, that is something that I find so beautiful about music and something that is, why, you know, it's why pop music is so uh, is entering into this golden age, I think, right now, even though it's it feels daunting at the same time because of uh, this, the whole, like, you know, gatekeepers are essentially gone. Um, but I think it's it's interesting now because the the, uh, the, the, the lines of taste are blurred. And it's, it really becomes about what uh, people are drawing on and referencing and uh, and nodding to in sincere and insincere ways. And I think that's uh, kind of a new frontier. I mean, it's been happening over the last 10 years for sure. But, yeah, with Jonathan, he 
he was able to pick up on and translate those references for me and also just um, he just respected me. He respected my taste. He respected uh, what the 13-year-old me was in my bedroom listening to and loving and I hadn't encountered that kind of taste, I mean that kind of respect from uh, the quote-unquote cool producers that I had worked with previously. Mm. And I, case in point, you know, the first time the Preachers came to L.A. when we were this huge, hyped, big deal band, everybody wanted to sign us on the planet. Like it was like this huge bidding war. I remember a few few people, you know, we, we chatted to a couple of very, very cool producers and label guys and whatever, and they for some reason they kept bringing Haim up because we'd been compared to Haim at that point. I'd never heard Haim before oh, yeah. we, we'd had comparisons and now they're, you know, they're one of my favourite favorite bands. But there are a lot of people who tried to do this kind of comparison of the two bands, like, oh, you know, but Haim's not, like, they're not very good. Like, you guys are way better than Haim. And I was just like, what the, f-? you know, what's that all about? Why? First of all, we're different. Second, there's room for many female artists that you don't have to, we don't have to be in competition with each other just because we both do rock with, with you know, a pop, pop rock with sort of R&B influence. And also I just thought it showed, uh, you know, a, a a disregard and an ignorance about where the taste, the line of taste was coming from because I loved the music that they love. I love All Saints. I love Katy Perry, (laughs) you know, and it's, um, I love Led Zeppelin too and I love Bruce Springsteen and I love Tom Petty uh, and I love Janet Jackson and I love Lauryn Hill. So, you know, those were the influences that, um, it wasn't just sort of st- straight edged, uber intellectual, super cool white rock that I was listening to, essentially, is what I'm saying. I think that, um, just to almost add or to agree to, to what you were saying previously, is that in the last five or so years, it definitely has become a thing where genre is almost a bit of a blurred line where you can like all these different influences and it doesn't seem to be as, um, I don't want to say judge, but I think, yeah, 10, 15 years ago, you were judged if you did like, you know, the strokes and some form of pop band. And I think these days now, well, Mm -hmm. I won't actually go through it, but in the many records behind me, there is the strokes next to Katy Perry or next to someone else. Why not be able to enjoy a myriad of, different musical things. You wouldn't have the same meal every day. Why do the same for your ears? Well, I think I grew up with uh, my, both my parents had a a great taste in music. And by great, I mean, they just, they really, um, they really instilled in me this love of song craft and of songs. And my dad would always bring it back to, I'd be like, why do you love this? 
you know, he used to play me Wilco all the time and I was like, oh, Dad, this is such boring dad music, which, of course, <laughs> now I love Wilco. Um, yeah. But, you know, he played me Mercury Rev and Flaming Lips and all the classics, Neil Young, you know, um, Bob Marley. He, he, But he was also a great educator for me. Like he, he, he would tell me when he introduced me to Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here, he told me the story of the band and where they had come from and then, um, you know, what had happened when uh, they lost Sid Barrett and how that had affected the band and same with New Order, you know, he took me through the whole transition, what happened when Ian Curtis passed away, this is what the band did after that and, you know, I think... like I grew up listening to a lot of Massive Attack and Chemical Brothers and uh, a lot of British music, a lot of Brit pop, Nick Lowe, um, uh, Elvis Costello. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think, you know, the Australian equivalents of that were the Saints and Ed Cooper, uh, the Divinals, the Sports, um, the Reels. Uh, there was there was a definite line of taste with my dad and he didn't, you know, there was a, stuff, a lot of stuff that he didn't like and he was very vocal with me about it and there were huge, like, just holes in my musical education, like Neil Diamond. I was like, Dad, what happened? You never played me Neil Diamond. He was like, oh, <laughs> no, not fucking Neil Diamond. You know, it would be like that. So, um uh, you know, there were things that I was only exposed to. Uh, I had a I had a nanny that took care of me um, from when I was seven until, or actually earlier, I think six until maybe eleven or something. Um, until I was, you know, really too old to have a nanny because um, my parents worked full time in the restaurant and I was an only child, so I had nannies. Um, and uh, my nanny was, she was a trans woman and she played so much 80s, 70s and 80s stuff in her because she had a RAV4 with a Magic Happens sticker on the back. And I, uh, every every day after school or, you know, whenever she was taking care of me, we would drive. It was ABBA, it was Celine Dion, it was Bette Midler, it was... Elton John, it was um, Wham, you know, so like that was that was happening kind of that was like my secret divergent musical education. That's very, very cool. I um, <laughs> I feel like there is touches of a number of those acts, some maybe I thought of, some maybe I, I didn't even think of until you've said them that kind of um, that, that are, I guess, fingerprinted all across this album. Um it is a beautiful record. Uh, Izzy, I know that we only have a little bit of time left this morning. Um, I know that one or two festival dates have been announced, but can we expect to see you coming back home um, and touring the record at some point later in the year in Australia? I'd really love that. I think, I mean, to me, touring is my life's blood. I, I love it. I miss it. Um, I really want to play some shows. I think it's a hard landscape in Australia at the moment for for getting any kind of shows off the ground. And being a new mum, I've had to be a lot more uh, discerning about what I take on 
but my plan is to do a headline tour early next year. That's the, that's what I would like to happen. So 2023 is the year. Beautiful. That's very, very exciting. I know there's a lot of people excited for this record and I imagine in turn very excited to see you come and play some shows back at home in Australia. Um, Izzy, thank you very much for your time today. The new album, it is the debut album from yourself, Isabella Manfredi. The, uh, the record itself is called Izzy. It's out this week, but yeah, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks, Simon. Thank you. that's our show. A massive thank you to Isabella Manfredi for her time. Izzy is out today and we've left links in the show notes if you'd like to buy the record. We also want to give a huge shout out to Marie at Island Music Australia for helping out with today's interview. If you like this show, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released. We release new shows each Wednesday and Friday morning and we now have a Patreon, which you can find within the show notes of this episode. You can follow the player's profile on Spotify you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Until next week, cheers. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.